All right, let's do a quick poll. Ready? How many of you are rooting for the Rams today? Ooh, not as many as I thought. How many of you are rooting for the Bengals today? Wow. Okay, now let's get really serious. How many of you are rooting for Cooper Cup today? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So um, here's my, 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 my thought for today. By the way, this shirt is the mix between what I think would be blue and orange. Um, so here's what I hope will happen today. Cooper Cup will catch three touchdown passes and have 300 yards receiving. The Bengals will win because my son-in-law is a Bengal fan. Come on, people. Got to support the fam. And an unprecedented thing that has never happened in Super Bowl history, Cooper Cup on the losing team will win the MVP. That'd be great, right? Let's try for that. Let's jump in for that. So, and that leads us right to, is God trustworthy? <laughs> will he do that for me? That's what I'm wanting to know. Come on, God. <laughs> God probably cares nothing about this afternoon and everything about this morning. Amen? Can we acknowledge that? Amen? Right now? We are in a very, very important series that I believe is going to be uh, very important for our church. I think it's important for every single one of us in our discipleship and our relationship with Jesus moving forward for the rest of our lives. I think the future for us as a church and for Christians will be very challenging. And as we process that and think about that and begin our lives in Christ and, and live out the life of Christ in our lives and Cheney and everywhere we live and in the world around us, we have to know, do I trust God? Do I trust him in every area of my life, in the small things and in the big things, and, so, and everything in between? And so we're um, in a series called Do I Trust God? And we're just going to answer that question all year long in a whole bunch of different ways in every way that it touches our life. But as you think about this question and as we discuss the propositions that God's word has for us, the truth that God's word has for us, and why we would choose to trust God, we have to ask an even deeper question before that, and that is, is God trustworthy? Is God worthy of our trust? Is he someone that I would want to give my entire life to, all of my decisions to, to live my life for? Is that who God is? Is he trustworthy? And so I want to investigate that question this morning because it is extremely important and because it's foundational to every message that we will preach for the rest of the year. Because the reality is, we've all learned that trust is the foundation of all relationships. Without trust, everything falls apart. And so if you and I are going to have a relationship with God, then we have to know, I can trust him. I can trust God with everything, with all of my joy and all of my sorrow. I can give it to him, and I can trust him. And so um, as we think about that, I want to talk about how God is trustworthy and some things that make him trustworthy and I want to look at a story that helps us with that as well. But before we do, I want us to look at two definitions. The definition of the word trust and the definition of the word trustworthy. These will be a baseline for us for all of our future conversations. So the word trust means reliance on the integrity, strength, ability, surety of a person or thing. Confidence. It means confident expectation of something or hope. Trustworthy means deserving of that trust. It's not just that I'm trust, 
but I'm deserving of it. I'm deserving of trust or confidence. I'm dependable. I'm reliable. And that's what we're going to ask this morning. Can we rely on God? Can we rely on his integrity, his strength, his ability, his surety? Are we confidently uh, expecting something of him that we know he will do based on his word? Can we put our hope in him? Is God dependable and reliable? Is God trustworthy? So I want us to look at a story in the Bible today that deals with this question. Is God trustworthy. Now, this story happens to be one of the most challenging stories in all of the Bible. It's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the story of when God leaves heaven and comes here to check out what's happening in these two cities and eventually makes a judgment that these two cities are not living in the will of God in any way, shape, or form, and God chooses to destroy them. But in this moment and in this chapter, chapter 18 of Genesis, we have two moments where we get to deal with trust and whether or not God is trustworthy. Now, it's an old story, but like most old stories in the Bible, it's timeless, it's helpful, and it answers the questions that every generation has. Now, this chapter actually has two stories in it. And while you're getting to chapter 18 of Genesis, let me just remind us of a couple things. The first story is a personal story. And it answers the question, is God trustworthy to me, to my personal life, to who I am as a person? Is God, can I trust him with my life? Can I trust God with the very deep, hopeful, sometimes hurtful, lifelong challenges that I encounter all of my life? Can I trust God with me, with all of me? The second story is a big question. Is God trustworthy with all mankind? Can we trust God with the entire earth? Can we trust that he is right? Can we trust all that, that he will do what's right and he will judge what's right with all of the crazy stuff in our world, with all of the issues, with everything going on, can, jo- can God be the judge of all the earth? Does he have the integrity to do that? And, and, and does he judge correctly? Is he just a mean judge with no heart? Or is he purposeful because he knows the future? Now, before we dive into that, let me remind you about the history of this story so that the story makes a little bit more sense. There's a couple things you'll want to know uh, before we dive into the story. So this is the story of Abraham and Sarah. Let me just give you a little background about Abraham and Sarah. You'll remember God told Abraham and his wife Sarah to leave their family, which was a huge deal back then, to leave their family and move to Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. Then God promised Abraham and his descendants that they would live in modern-day Israel always. Is that happening today? Yes. The descendants of Abraham, the family of Abraham, live in Israel today. We call them the Jews, the Israelites. They still live there today. You can see that with your own eyes right now today. 
God promised that Abraham would become a great nation. Are they a great nation? Yes, they have been. They're such a great nation that we talk about them constantly on the news, and they have no bearing on our country, no bearing on our future, yet we talk about them constantly. Why? Because God has made them a great nation and made them important on the earth, even though they're really not important at all because they're such a tiny country in the world. You would think that they would have no bearing on anyone, but they are a great nation because God has made them great, and we will always pay attention to them. God also promised Abraham that he would have a son, and he did. That'll be part of our chapter. God promised Abraham that everyone would be blessed through his family, and they are because Jesus came through his family, and everyone is blessed through Christ. So if we wanted to, and if we felt like we just wanted to go start prepping for the game right now, I could stop right now, and we could say what? God is trustworthy. He answered all five of these promises, and we even see them still being answered today every single day. We can stop right now and say, absolutely, God is trustworthy. But we'll go on because we have a story. Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15, read it with me, or follow along with me, at least. The Lord appeared to Abram near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and made ribs. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf and had them prepared and set them before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Watch verse 9. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this next time, about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out, and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, and so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, yes, you did laugh. Now here's what I want us to notice in chapter 18 that is the first thing right away, and that is verse 9. The very first thing that these men address is the personal issue that Abraham and Sarah have had their entire life. Their entire life, all they've wanted is a son or a child. All they have wanted is the promise of God. It's been the deepest longing of their heart, and the very first thing that God addresses is whether or not they are trusting him 
personally and whether or not God is trustworthy to the promise that he made to them years before. Now, I'm sure that that's what Sarah had been wondering for a long time. Can I trust God to give me what he promised? She's 89 years old. She doesn't have a son. And this is why she laughs. She laughs because she says, now that I'm wore out, now that my husband's wore out, we're going to have a son. I don't think these guys know the birds and the bees story. I don't, I don't think they really understand how this works. Maybe they're foreigners and they just don't understand. Maybe since they're from heaven, because for some reason they obviously kind of figured that out, they really don't understand how things work on earth. Her laughter reveals her struggle. Her struggle to believe God's promises. Her struggle to believe and trust God completely. She was undoubtedly wondering if she could trust God with her own life because the only thing she wanted was a son and her heart is hurting because what God has promised has not come true and now it's too late. And in the middle of this struggle, in the middle of this what seems funny, these men are completely assured, I will come back next year and you will have a son. And Sarah laughs. Here's what's interesting. The thing about God's promises is they often defy the impossible. In fact, one of the ways that you can often discover if it's a promise of God in your life is if it sounds crazy. If it sounds like something that could never happen, it might be a promise of God because God does the impossible. And he loves to do things in our lives that are impossible so that you and I don't forget how good God is, how he's perfectly trustworthy, and how we can give him every single area of our life because even the areas that we're not thinking of and even the impossible areas and even the the areas that are going to defy all the odds God is thinking about, God is caring about, God is hoping about for you and me. Now, it sounds crazy, but Sarah does have a baby when she's 90 years old. And God answers the question for her. God, are you trustworthy? Someday you and I will get to heaven and Sarah will tell us over and over again, God is trustworthy. You absolutely, 100% can trust God with every single area of your life. Now, we also have to mention that not only is this personal promise just to Abraham and Sarah. This is the answer to the promise for the whole world. It's a promise for you. You just may not know it. Because Genesis 12, the original promise that God gave to Abraham says this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. This is why we should always support Israel as a nation and we should pray for that. But the last verse says this, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You and I sit here today in a relationship with Jesus Christ that is founded on this foundation that God chose Abraham. That this is the family 
that God said, I'm choosing not because they are more special than any other family, just because eventually I have to choose someone, (laughs) and I choose this one. And out of this family came Jesus Christ. And you and I sit here today with salvation in our hearts, heaven as our future, eternity as our home. We are blessed because of Abraham. See, the promise is overwhelming. The blessing is because of the cross and the resurrection. And every person on earth has opportunity to be blessed because of what God has done. And the story of how God takes care of this family from Genesis 12 all the way to the New Testament is another great example of how God is trustworthy over and over again. Trustworthy to Abraham and Sarah's family personally and trustworthy to the whole world to bring salvation to you and me through Jesus Christ. Now, the second half of Genesis 18 answers a different question. And I believe um, as people read it, as you and I read it, as the world reads it, creates some challenges and some issues for them. And for us too. It, It answers a different question. It answers the question, is God trustworthy to all mankind? In all situations, can, can we trust God to do what's right with all of our issues, all of our crazy stuff, all of our mistakes, uh, all of our sin? Can we trust that God has integrity and that he will judge justly and judge rightly in the present or in the end? And does he deserve that? And so Genesis 18 16 through 33, and the rest of chapter 19 that we won't have time to read, but I'm going to read the rest of 18, gives us the scenario about is God trustworthy? And so I'd like to read it together, and then we'll make some points from it as well. Verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Now, let me just stop there for a minute. Notice with me that what God is wanting Abraham and his family to do is to declare who God is for all of time. And what this verse says, verse 19, is that what, what, they re- what he really wants them to represent is that God is right and just, that he's trustworthy. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place 
for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. Now there's a lot here. A lot of theologies wrapped up in this section and a lot of things that can help us with whether or not God is trustworthy, whether he is right and just. Now let me point out three observations that I believe we can see in this story and then I want to talk about two things that I think show us why God is trustworthy. The first observation I made from this story is that God is concerned about people's sin. This is very important for us to understand what God is concerned about what God thinks is important. And that when, when God looks at you and me and he looks down at the earth, what is God concerned about? And it's true and clear in this story that God is concerned about our sin. God came down to look at the issue that was happening because of a sinful state. Here's what we also need to notice. God, God did not come down to check out their government. He didn't come down to say, are they a republic? Uh, are they socialists? Are they monarchs? What, what are they doing? Because uh, government's super important, and I better check that out. He didn't come out to check out the condition of their football team. Say, you know what, Sodom, they are just, they're so bad at football, and I really need to help them with this, because this is really, really important to culture and society. God didn't come down to investigate their educational system, their healthcare system, the music they were listening to, the entertainment they were producing, their transportation system, and God forbid he did not even come down to check out their vaccination status. God came down because he was concerned about one thing, sin. Why? Because sin is what separates us from God. See, what this really declares is that God was concerned about his relationship with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the things that they were doing and saying and the ways that they were living that were causing this great chasm between him and them. And he was also concerned about one more thing that we often don't think of in this story. He was very concerned about that spreading. What if the next town wants to live like that? and the next, and the next, and the next. Can I let this spread? Is God right and just 
to deal with that. So God came down because he was concerned about the fact that they were ignoring a relationship with him and focusing so selfishly on their own wants and desires. See, God is concerned about what's in the way of our relationship with him, and we are often too concerned about what? Getting our own way. See, one of mankind's biggest problems all throughout history has been ignoring God. One of our, one of our worst thoughts is, I can do life without God. One of our most difficult decisions is to choose our own selfish desires instead of surrendering to God. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make them happy. Have you ever heard anyone in our culture recently say, maybe our lifestyles are hurting God's heart? See, God's concerned about our sin because we often ignore the consequences of our sin until it's too late. One of the reasons that I believe God is trustworthy is because he's concerned about us even when we're not even concerned about ourselves. Another thing I observed was Abraham asks God, the big question. See, this is where I think the trust part comes in. In verse 25, Abraham asks God this question. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? It's the big question, isn't it? God, are you trustworthy? God, are you trustworthy? Will you do what's right? This situation we can see needs some attention. But will you do what's right? That's the question. Can I trust you with mankind, judging mankind, dealing with our failures? Are you gracious, kind, and loving, or are you harsh, mean, and overly judgmental? Which are you? Abraham asks God if he will do the right thing. Will he kill the good with the bad? Because that doesn't sound right. Now notice with me the title that Abraham uses for God. I want you to notice this because this is important. The title that Abraham uses for God is this, judge of all the earth. That's what Abraham calls him, judge of all the earth. So here's what's really, really important and that you and I need to think about because what, what Abraham is doing right now is what we're doing right now, I believe, in our current state around the world in 2022. We are making a philosophical argument about God. We do it, the world does it, non-believers do it, college professors are doing it, everyone's doing it. But here's what we often forget in the middle of a good argument, the facts. <laughs> we often forget the facts in the middle of a good argument, in the middle of a good question. So here's what's great. In the middle of Abraham's very, very important question, God, are you trustworthy? He also acknowledges the facts. God, you are the judge of all the earth. Now, here's the point. Whenever we ask a big question, scientific, philosophical, whatever, you gotta start with the facts. And as I watch us asking questions right now, 
we often don't start with the facts. We start with our own opinion. And then we get to a deeper place of wrong opinion. And we end up there because we don't start with the facts. And the fact is this. God is the judge of all the earth. Now, as Abraham works through his process, this needs to be pointed out. What Abraham is saying is, God, the earth is yours. You're the supreme authority here. You get to do whatever you want. And so what Abraham is saying is there's no doubt that you are the judge of all the earth, but I still have a question. Will you do what's right? Are you trustworthy? Now, it's a, it's, it's a valuable question, but he starts with the fact. If you and I get a speeding ticket and we go before the judge, the, here's, what, here's what happens. I don't get to say, I don't want you to be my judge. That's the wrong question. The facts in the room are this. You're the judge. I cannot deny that. And you get to decide about my mistake, about my failure. That's your job. But I can also ask, are you trustworthy? That question is viable. The question of whether or not he is the judge, it's not a question. He is. <laughs> he is the judge. And he's going to decide that I have to pay a $250 fine because I was going 100 miles an hour in a school zone. So... I, I got to do that. Jail is what it should be. Yes, that should be jail for a while. So Abraham's question is right on two premises. One, that he started with facts, and two, because he asks a question that's allowed. The third observation I have is that Abraham questions God from a place of humility. Verse 27 says, Then Abraham spoke up again, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. So here's what's great. Abraham's admission is that he is nothing and God is everything. That God is great and he is insignificant. He's declaring that God is in control. God is the creator. God is the sustainer. God is the powerful one here. God is the authority. God is the one that gets to make the right and just decision. Abraham comes to God from a place of humility. Now, as I watch the world around us question God today, they're not coming from a stance of humility. They're coming from a stance of arrogance. The questions that are being asked today are with a shaken fist. God Here's my question, and if you can't answer it right, I won't believe in you. You're out. Or we point our finger at God. God, I'm demanding this from you. That's not a place of humility. It's a place of arrogance. I also have noticed that when we ask God questions from a place of arrogance, we often get kind of confused. For instance, I'll hear people ask all the time, or, or they'll say, I, I just, I can't trust God. Why? Because I just want God to fix all the problems on earth. I mean, doesn't he see all the problems on earth? Why doesn't he just fix them? So, well, are you gonna get mad at God if he fixes the problems in his own way? Yep, if he answers them in the way he did in the Bible, I am. What? You're confusing yourself. 
You can't say, I want God to fix the problem, and then I want him to fix it my way. You're not the judge. He is. So he gets to fix the problem in his way. This is our challenge. We're, we're, we're doing circular thinking and then declaring that they're facts because we didn't start with the facts. Here's what I also have discovered. God rarely answers my questions when I come to him in arrogance. But he loves to be in conversation with me when I come in humility. And he loves to answer my questions and he loves to have a talk and he loves to just walk me through something when I put him first. The fourth observation I noticed was, and this one's really important, God wasn't mad at Abraham for questioning him. Did you notice that? Did you notice that even though Abraham was questioning God's integrity, his character, and who he is at the core of who God is, that God didn't say, whoa, buddy, hold on. That question's out. You don't get to ask that one. Abraham was okay. God was okay. God was okay with Abraham questioning him. He's not mad. God's not scared at our questions. No question is too big or small. It reminds us that he cares about what we're thinking and how we're processing life. So I want to encourage you. Ask God your questions. Seek God's word for your answers. I want to end with this. Two things I believe God did in this story to prove he is trustworthy. Now, there's actually more than two, but I only have time for two according to the clock. Number one, he came down for a closer look. One of the reasons that I believe God is trustworthy, and this story proves it, is that when there was a problem, he came down for a closer look. Now, what does that tell me? It tells me that God is blind and he can't see from heaven. No, that's not what it tells me. It tells me that he cares. One of the things that um, a long time ago my wife told me, she said, Mark, and I did it today uh, with a little boy in the comments. She said, Mark, when you're talking to kids, you need to get down on your knees. Why? Because you look ominous. You're six foot four and like, what's up, man? Like, do you want them to know you care and that you love them? Then you're going to need to get down on your knees and get closer. Get closer eye to eye and let them hug you and let them see you and let them be, just be a part of their life. And that's exactly what God is doing here. He's coming down. He's getting a closer look. Why? Because he's overwhelmingly patient. He has long-suffering love. And he has the ability to be slow to become angry. Now, I want you to know something. He does that with you and me as well. He still does that today. He's still doing this exact same thing when you and I make a mistake. He comes down. I can tell you, I could tell you about moments in my life where I made mistakes and didn't do the right thing. And in that darkest, deepest, most hurtful time of my life, God came close. In that moment, God came close. Was God looking to just judge harshly and he wanted a closer look? No. 
He's trying to come down and look at what's in the way of a relationship with him and making sure that that thinking was not spreading. There'll be times that God will see our failures and he will choose to be gracious because he came close. And there will be times that God will choose to discipline us when we need it. But here's what I've discovered. He always comes close. See, he came to take a closer look before he made the tough decision to judge what was right and just in this situation. He's trustworthy because he comes close. Secondly, he's trustworthy because he did what was right. Now, Abraham gets the opportunity here to plead with God. Starting with sparing the city if 50 good people can be found and then going all the way down to if 10 good people are found. Now, let me, let me just uh, help us out for a minute without reading all of chapter 19. Let me just describe to you what Sodom was like. Sodom would make Las Vegas look like a convent for nuns. That's a good description of Sodom at this time. So Abraham still pleads for them. Now, why is Abraham pleading for them? Is there any personal interest? Yes, his nephew lives there. <laughs> his nephew, who, by the way, a couple of chapters earlier, Abraham stuck his neck out for him again. And here's his nephew, who's now in the middle of a big problem, and Abraham's thinking, I've got to plead with God for my nephew. So he works it all the way down to 10, thinking, I, I know that Lot probably has close to 10 people living in his house, and maybe that'll work. So God says, okay, I'll do what's right. If I find 10 good people, I'll spare the city. So God went down. And did he find 10 good people? No. Didn't find 10. But that's not the question. The question is, did God do what was right? And I've got bad news for you. The answer is no. He didn't do what was right. He went above and beyond right. He didn't do what was right. He did what was gracious. He did what was kind. He did what was extraordinarily loving because he only found four people in the city. Now, according to the framework, and the conditions of the philosophical argument that Abraham has presented to God? Did God need to rescue Lot and his wife and his two daughters? That's one, two, three, four. Less than 10? Yes. Could God have destroyed Lot and his wife and his two daughters inside the boundaries of the philosophical argument? Yes. Would God have been right? Yes. Did God do what was right? No. He did what was gracious. He did what was kind. He did what was just. And he went down there, and even though they didn't want to leave, he grabbed them by the hand, and he drugged them out of the town because they didn't even know it was good for themselves before he destroyed it. Is God trustworthy? 
You better believe it. Every single time, God is trustworthy. As we finish, let me share one more thing about this story. Abraham intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what he does. He takes the place of an interceder. But later, later, someone else from Abraham's family is going to come as an interceder. Only this time he'll intercede not for one city, for every city, for every person, for all of time from the beginning to the end. That interceder is Jesus Christ. And is Jesus going to do what's right and just? No. He's going to go so much further. So much further. Because now, because of the cross and the resurrection, every single person on the planet who acknowledges Jesus Christ as Savior gets his mercy, his grace, his love. Heaven is your home. Whether you are the worst person in the world who deserves all of the just horrors that you could have in your life and all of the justice of God, would God be just to rain down a lightning bolt on your head? Absolutely. But he doesn't. Instead, he gives you what? His body and blood on a cross so that you can have grace and mercy. So if you ask me, is God trustworthy? Oh, yeah. He's more than trustworthy because you and I have the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is God trustworthy? Would God do what is right? Would God do what is best for everyone? The cross is the answer. The answer is yes. Overwhelmingly yes. He is trustworthy. And beyond that, he would come and risk his own life to prove that he is. For the rest of the year, you and I are going to talk about whether or not we should trust this God. And I would declare this morning that the God that we will talk about, the God of the Bible, is more trustworthy than anyone we could possibly know or will ever know. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, we thank you that even though we often, <laughs> for whatever reasons we choose on our own, do things outside of your graciousness and your kindness and your blessing in our lives, we ask you to continue to be kind and gracious. We also pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us understand how trustworthy you are. We've seen from this story, and we could choose a hundred more, that that's who you are. You are trustworthy. And sometimes you go even beyond what we, what we think we should do, what you should do, because you're so kind. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you would help us, just thinking about those of you that are right now, have just still, there's moments in your life, and there's things that have happened in your life, that those things are still hard for you to trust God with. And I want to encourage you this morning
to open your heart to him in those areas. That he is trustworthy to deal with whatever you want to give him. Whatever pain's in there, whatever abuse might be there, whatever confusion or anger, whatever is in your heart that is just that, there's that space that you just don't give to God because you just, maybe you just don't trust him yet. I want to encourage you to give it to him. He is trustworthy. And he is worthy of all of our love because he's given us all of his. So Holy Spirit, we ask you as we move forward through this series and we declare that we can trust you, that we would understand that the, the fact of, and the reason that we can trust you is because you are trustworthy. And so help us all, every one of us, to give all of ourselves to you, to worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I encourage you to go and serve a trustworthy God. Amen. And always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.